I want to talk about the well-known parable, the emperor has no clothes, AKA the emperor's new clothes. And what I want to do is talk specifically about how this well-known parable applies to Bible prophecy. And by that I mean, I'm hoping to connect the moral of the story, as it were, with what's happening prophetically in the world today. So what we'll do is start with an abbreviated and edited version of the original by Danish author Hans Christian Andersen. It was actually published in April of 1837. Many years ago, there was an emperor so exceedingly fond of new clothes. Every day strangers came to town, and among them one day came two swindlers. They let it be known they were weavers, and they said they could weave the most magnificent fabrics imaginable. Not only were their colors and patterns uncommonly fine, but clothes made of this cloth had a wonderful way of becoming invisible to anyone who was unfit for his office, or who was unusually stupid. Those would be just the clothes for me, thought the emperor. If I wore them, I would be able to discover which men in my empire are unfit for their posts. And I could tell the wise men from the fools. He paid the two swindlers a large sum of money to start work at once. They set up two looms and pretended to weave, though there was nothing on the looms. <laughs> I'd like to know how those weavers are getting on with the cloth, the emperor thought, but he felt slightly uncomfortable when he remembered that those who were unfit for their position would not be able to see the fabric. It couldn't have been that he doubted himself, yet he thought he'd rather send someone else to see how things were going. The whole town knew about the cloth's peculiar power, and all were impatient to find out how stupid their neighbors were. <laughs> I'll send my honest old pastor to the weavers, the emperor decided. So the honest old pastor went to the room where the two swindlers sat working away at their empty looms. Heaven help me, he thought, as his eyes flew wide open. I can't see anything at all. But he did not say so. Both the swindlers begged him to be so kind as to come near to approve the excellent pattern and the beautiful colors. They pointed to the empty looms, and the poor old pastor stared as hard as he dared. He couldn't see anything, because there was nothing to see. Heaven have mercy, he thought. Can it be that I'm a fool? I'd have never guessed it, and not a soul must know. Am I unfit to be the pastor? It would never do to let on that I can't see the cloth. Don't hesitate to tell us what you think of it, said one of the weavers. Oh, it's beautiful. It's enchanting, the old pastor peered through his spectacles. Wait. There. Effects added. I'll be sure to tell the emperor how delighted I am with it. And so he did. The emperor sent another trustworthy official to see how the work progressed and how soon it would be ready. The same thing happened to him that happened to the pastor. He looked and he looked, but as there was nothing to see in the looms, he couldn't see anything. 
I know I'm not stupid, the man thought. So it must be that I'm unworthy of my good office. That's strange. I mustn't let anyone find it out, though. So he praised the material he did not see. To the emperor, he said, it held me spellbound. All the town was talking of this splendid cloth, and the emperor wanted to see it for himself while it was still in the looms attended by a band of chosen men, among whom were his two old trusted officials he sent out to see the two swindlers. He found them weaving with might and main, but without a thread in their looms. Magnificent, said the two officials already duped. Just look, your majesty, what colors, what a design effects at it. They pointed to the empty looms, each supposing that the others could see the stuff. What's this? thought the emperor. I can't see anything. This is terrible. Am I a fool? Am I unfit to be the emperor? What a thing to happen to me of all people. Oh, it's very pretty, he said. It has my highest approval. Nothing could make him say that he couldn't see anything. One saw no more than the other, but they all joined the emperor in exclaiming, Oh, it's very pretty. And they advised him to wear clothes made from this wonderful cloth for the great procession he was soon to lead. Then the emperor himself came with his noblest nobleman, and the swindlers each raised an arm as if they were holding something. Then said, these are the trousers. Here's the coat. And this is the mantle, naming each garment. All of them are as light as a spider web. One would almost think he had nothing on. But that's what makes them so fine. Exactly, all the noblemen agreed, though they could see nothing for there was nothing to see. The emperor undressed, I know, TMI, and the swindlers pretended to put his new clothes on him, one garment after another. How well your majesty's new clothes look. Aren't they becoming? He heard on all sides. Then the minister of public processions announced, your majesty's canopy is waiting outside. Well, I'm supposed to be ready, the emperor said, and turned again for one last look in the mirror. It's a remarkable fit, isn't it? The noblemen who were to carry his train stooped low and reached for the floor as if they were picking up his mantle. Then they pretended to lift and hold it high. They didn't dare admit that they had nothing to hold. So off went the emperor in procession under his splendid canopy. Everyone in the streets and the windows said, Oh, how fine are the emperor's new clothes. Don't they fit him to perfection and see his long train? Nobody would confess that he couldn't see anything for that would prove him either unfit for his position or a fool. But he hasn't got anything on, a little child said. <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes. And one person whispered to another what the child had said. He hasn't anything on. A child says he hasn't anything on, but he's hasn't got anything on. The whole town cried at last. The emperor shivered, for he suspected they were right. But he thought, this procession has to go on. So he walked more proudly than ever, as his noblemen held high the train that wasn't there at all. There are actually 
many morals to this. <laughs> Wait, don't, let me get there first, okay? There are many lessons to learn, many morals to this famous story, chief of which is that no one dares to speak the truth lest they be seen as stupid. Worse yet, they can see right through the deception, pun intended by the way, but fear people will think they're a crazy conspiracy theory nutcase, so they remain silent. This because of the pressure from and the power of the masses perceived narrative, leading one who actually sees the truth to think, well, it must just be me. Of this parable, one so aptly said, the expression has since turned into an idiomatic phrase said when the veil falls off of a deceptive illusion. However, the perpetrators of any deception will do everything and stop at nothing to keep the lie alive. Why? Oh, they want to keep the masses deceived under their magic spell. Other reasons for not speaking the truth is the man-pleasing fear of man, which the Bible says is a trap. Why is it a trap? Because when you live to please man or in the fear of man, you're trapped in the fear of losing finances or losing followers. Another possible reason for one not speaking the truth and standing alone is because they're being blackmailed or threatened. However, oftentimes being blackmailed results from this same man-pleasing fear of man by putting oneself in a compromising position to be blackmailed in the first place. There's one other reason that one would be unwilling to go against the crowd despite its man-pleasing pressure to go along, to get along. What I'm speaking of are the false prophets who themselves are deceived and as such deceive. Those who are deceived deceive. And they deceive vis-a-vis -vis a lying spirit in their mouths. And such was the case in the fascinating account of a prophet nobody's really heard about or talks much about, his name, Micaiah. He stood alone against 400 of these lying false prophets. And we have the account in Second Chronicles. This one prophet, like the one child, was the only one who dared to go against the narrative and say, the emperor has no clothes. The emperor in this case was the evil king Ahab. Ahab had 400 of these highly paid false prophets, all of which told him only what he wanted to hear. Oh, splendid, magnificent. And in this account, there is this very specific record of how they would tell him that the exquisite and magnificent victory was his as emperor and king under the banner of this lying spirit in their mouths. Kindly allow me to begin reading in verse 3 of Second Chronicles 18. Let me real quick set the stage so you have the context and the backstory. 
evil King Ahab of Israel. Understand at this time it's, the kingdom is divided into two. You have the northern tribes of Israel, King Ahab. You have southern Judah, King Jehoshaphat. Ahab, evil king. Jehoshaphat, good king. One of only nine, by the way. And Ahab is so evil, he's going to deceive Jehoshaphat and get him to go to battle with him and disguise him as Ahab so that he gets killed instead of Ahab. And so he has Jehoshaphat come and he asks him, verse 3, so Ahab king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? And he answered him, I am as you are and my people as your people. We will be with you in the war. You have to understand that Jehoshaphat, his first mistake was allowing his son to marry the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Big boo-boo. Also verse 4, now this is Jehoshaphat, said to the king of Israel, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Really Jehoshaphat? You make the decision, then pray? Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men. Stop right there. I just want to put it into perspective. So this sanctuary, beautiful sanctuary that God in His grace has given us, seats about 300 people. So let's add 100 chairs and let's fill every single one with one of these lying false prophets, 400 of them. And you've got King Jehoshaphat and King Ahab up here. They're clothed, sorry. And you have all of these prophets now that are going to come before the kings and prophesy to them. Well, actually 401, excuse me. We'll, we'll get to the one. So this is Ahab now. He says to them, 400 prophets, Shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat said, Neh, Neh, is in the original, but that's the way, come on. Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? Then the king of, verse 7, so the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, <laughs> I love this so much, there is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. Well, Ahab, that's because you're evil. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. Then the king of Israel called one of his officers and said, bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. You have to understand that he's in prison. Why? Because Ahab sent him to prison. Why? Because he had already spoken the truth to Ahab about the doom and gloom of a disastrous end. I point that out because it is textbook. You don't like the message? Silence the messenger. Well, be that as it may, the prison guards go to his cell and tell him, Hey, Micaiah, you're going to get another chance. But you have to go along to get along. Say what the others are saying, and please the king, the emperor. Tell him his clothes are just magnificent, even though he doesn't have any on. He's to say what the 400 prophets were saying, which is that instead of it being disastrous, it will be victorious. Well, Micaiah, to his credit, tells them he cannot go against the Word of God. But 
They take him anyway to prophesy to King Ahab and King Jehoshaphat. Now the prophets that went before him were very dramatic and demonstrative, and they use props, and they bring out the horns, and declare that they'll be victorious in destroying the enemy. Now it's Micaiah's turn. He knows he's already hated and despised, and he also knows they won't listen to the truth anyway. So he makes a decision to respond with what I like to call a sanctified sarcasm. Verse 14, And he came to the king, and the king, speaking of Ahab, said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And he said, yeah, go ahead. That's in the original too. Yeah, go and prosper, and they shall be delivered into your hand. Uh, what's being served for lunch? Or is there lunch today? So the king said to him, verse 15, this is very interesting. How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Oh. Oh, this isn't your first rodeo, it seems. Oh, this has happened before. Apparently, several times. How many times have I told you, Micaiah? Stop doing that. You speak the truth to me. Now, it's probably not a surprise that he knows Micaiah is being sarcastic. But here's what is a little bit of a surprise. He knows that Micaiah will speak the truth in the name of the Lord. So verse 17, it's verses like this that remind me that God has a great sense of humor. Of course, I'm reminded of that every time I look in the mirror, but particularly verses like this, because this is Ahab now, the king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you who had not prophesied anything good concerning me but evil? Told you so. That's why I didn't want to bring him in here to begin with. Then Micaiah said, verse 18, you want the truth. <laughs> I'm not going to take that any further. You already did. I don't have to. Here's the truth. Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on His throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing on His right hand and His left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab king of Israel to go up, that he may fall at Ramoth-Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. And this is Micaiah still speaking to Ahab and Jehoshaphat with him. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. Thank you, Micaiah. Thank you for not caving to the pressure from your so-called peers. Thank you for having the holy boldness to speak the truth. Thank you for standing alone against 400 who won't speak the truth by telling the emperor or king it won't be victorious, but disastrous. Thank you, Lord, for Micaiah and including what happened 
in the pages of Scripture because it's a reminder of guys like Micaiah who will count the cost and know they're going to be mocked and ridiculed and slandered. And like Micaiah, sent back to their prison cell with the bread of affliction, that'll be your lunch. Spoiler alert, in the end Micaiah was 100% right with his message of doom, gloom and disaster. And it happens exactly as he dared to say it would. Just as the emperor had no clothes, so too King Ahab had no victory. And he would die in the exact graphic detail as Micaiah prophesied. And the dogs would lick up his blood. We have a question we need to deal with. And the question becomes one of, why do we need to see anything? Why can't we just light a candle instead of cursing the darkness? Well, the answer is twofold. First, that's not biblical. Despite some thinking, it's actually a verse in the Bible. I don't know if that's first Fleshalonians, it might be next to that verse, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. That's not in the Bible either. In fact, there's one more while I'm at it, might as well. Uh, God helps those who help themselves. Not only is that not in the Bible, it's the opposite. God helps those who can't help themselves. And aren't you glad? Well, what the Bible does say about this is not just light a candle, don't curse the darkness. No, you're to expose the darkness. You're to expose them. Because see, secondly, not exposing the emperor who has no clothes is to participate in the deception by virtue of a silent, unspoken complicity. This is Ephesians 5.11. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Romans 13.12. Speaking of the end times, understanding the times, like the men of Issachar, they understood the times they were living in and they knew what to do. The Apostle Paul in similar fashion would write by the Holy Spirit, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Our salvation draws nearer than ever before. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Well, here's where I'm going with all this. The world today is parading lying, deceptive illusions. And the Micaiahs of our day are desperately needed to stand alone and speak the truth, no matter the cost. If you'll kindly allow me to, I want to expound more on this, but in order to do that, we'll go ahead at this time and end the live stream on YouTube and Facebook and direct you to jdfarag.org. So what follows are just three. There are many, but I selected three of these paraded, lying, deceptive illusions that beg for a Micaiah who's willing to expose them as such. The first one, just like the emperor has no clothes, the elections have no hope. And the sooner Christians realize it, the better. 
while I realize that saying this will be met with the expected vileness and viciousness that always ensues, it is the truth. And the truth is, our hope is in the Lord, not in the elections. Thank you, Lord. Now, let me hasten to say, I am not saying don't vote, don't email me. <laughs> am I saying don't vote? No! One more time, just so we're clear, I am not saying don't vote. Here's what I am saying. Vote, but don't put your hope in who you're voting for. Because in the end, you will be disappointed. Psalm 25, 3, no one whose hope is in you, Lord, will ever be put to shame. But they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Romans 10, 11, the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will never be ashamed. And Isaiah 49, 23, very interesting. This is a prophecy given by the prophet Isaiah. Kings will be your foster fathers and their queens, your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then, keyword, you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed, ever, ever. I better move on to the second one. The second deceptive illusion being paraded by the world today is known as Agenda 2030 for sustainable development. Doesn't that sound, oh, sustainable development, not so fast. It's cloaked in the climate change narrative. And the insidiousness of this is that climate change is very real. However, it's via geoengineering, the artificial modification of the Earth's climate systems. Please hear me when I say this. This climate crisis is created. The reaction controlled, and it will very soon lead to a Hitler-type repackaged final solution. Hegelian dialectic, crisis, reaction, solution. The final solution was, is, and will continue to be reducing the population so as to control the reduced population as prophesied in the book of Revelation, specifically during the seven-year tribulation. Because we've covered this in depth as recently as last week, I'll simply refer you again to Dane Wigington at geoengineeringwatch.org. The reason I bring it up again this week is because Pope Francis will lead a delegation of religious leaders to Mount Sinai on November 13th in concert with COP27, which is the 27th Conference of the Parties, 2022 United Nations Climate Change Conference. This year it will be held in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt from November 6th through the 18th. 
pictured here is a screenshot of an op-ed piece from Newsweek titled, get this, for our sin of emissions, 10 plus 1 climate commandments. In it they list what I would argue are blasphemous climate change commandments, which personally I won't even quote for that reason. What makes this year so different is Laudato Si, which was Pope Francis's 2015 encyclical call, listen, for mankind to recognize the plights of their common home, earth. Ain't my home. I'm just passing through. Laudato Si is Pope Francis's, again, listen, seven-year journey, seven-year journey towards, and again, this sounds so flowery, integral ecology. Oh, that sounds like a good thing. Yeah, until they implement climate lockdowns. Oh, come on, Pastor. Can you just call me Micaiah today? <laughs> just indulge me, if you don't mind. Integral ecology that will develop concrete goals and strategies for sustainable development by 2030. Hmm. Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. Let's see. 2030, it's 2020. Can you believe we're almost at the end of 2022? Who knew? <laughs> well, God knew. Uh, let's see. Next year, I know this is deeply profound. It's 2023. I know, deeply profound. I spend a great deal of time in prayer coming up with these deeply profound thoughts. So what's 2030 minus 2023? Seven. Hmm. <laughs> Can I just do one more hmm? Things that make you go hmm. Last but certainly not least is the deceptive illusion of COVID-19 and the injection which sadly has been eclipsed as of late, which if you think about it, in and of itself is very telling. Think about that. All of a sudden now, what, man, it just seems like yesterday they had, you know, red zones and these big, huge, ominous numbers and we're all going to die. And now it's like, okay, it's good now. No, it's not. The reason I couch it in these terms and say, sadly, it's been eclipsed is because the deceptive narrative has been met with a large measure of success in fading to the backdrop of obscurity. Why is that so serious? Because it's deadly and it's dangerous. Here's the reason. When you take it off of the wall-to-wall -wall propaganda coverage it once enjoyed. It's that out-of-sight, out-of-mind dynamic. And the masses don't hear of the masses dying suddenly. Let me explain, because you won't hear it and even if you did hear it, you'll never hear anyone because they have a lying spirit in their mouth. You'll never hear anyone say, they were only 35 years old, perfect health, and they just dropped that. 
inexplicable. Oh, they must have had their 49th booster. But they'll never say that. They'll never make that connection. Listen, I, you're no different than I am. You are fully capable of doing what I do. If you want to take the time, you can find and research. The numbers are staggering. And conservatively, they're in the tens of millions with an M. Wrap your mind around that. And we're not hearing anything about that? No pastors are saying anything about that? Everybody's going back to business as usual. Oh, it's a new normal. No, it's not. This is nothing normal about this. It's a deception. The emperor has no clothes. People are dying. And I'm yelling. <laughs> it is a custom in my country. Well, it gets worse. How you doing? You okay? Well, you made it this far. If this weren't bad enough, this is a genocide. I know we've talked about this in depth. I've been, I've been talking about this for over two years now, since the beginning of 2020. This is a genocide, man. It is a demonic, satanic genocide. And if that weren't bad enough, this so-called vaccine, which it's not, comes packaged with the technology. Let me rephrase that. The precise technology described in the book of Revelation chapter 13. It's for this reason, it's believed by some, present company included, that this will very soon, in the seven-year tribulation, be fused in with the image of the beast, the worship of the beast, and the mark of the beast. Now we have a problem we need to address quickly, if you don't mind. And it has to do with people actually know this, but they remain silent about this. And that's because, just because someone may believe it, doesn't necessarily mean that they have the spiritual spine like a Micaiah to be the only one out of all of their peers to stand up and basically say, I don't know what you guys are looking at, but that dude is naked. I, I know that's a I probably could have said that in a more pastoral way. The dude has no clothes on. What is the matter with you? You don't see it? Well, this brings me full circle to how we began as it relates to not only seeing through the deception, but speaking the truth in love. Scripture is replete with passage after passage that speaks to this truth about speaking of the truth in love and because of love. Hear me out. I inquire of the Lord and I just, how do I say this? How do you say it? Lord, <laughs> where's the love? I'll so speak to pastors. How's that? You're not off the hook yet, so hold on. Hmm. 
they must not love the people. They must not love the Lord. When Jesus restored Peter, he said three times, he asked him three times, because Peter denied him three times, do you love me? Yes, I do love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. In other words, a litmus test by which you'll be gauged or measured in your love for me will be proportionate to how you feed the sheep and speak the truth in love. Isn't it true that if we really love somebody, we'll speak truth to them? And conversely, when we don't love them, it's like, yeah, fine. <laughs> See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. I don't, I, I don't care. I don't have a, a dog in this hunt. Boy, I'm mixing my metaphors today, aren't I? I don't have a horse in this raising and borrow whichever one you want. No, but the love of Christ constrains me, Paul says. Jeremiah said, it's a burning in my heart. I have to. I can't not. In my time with the Lord, He's always so faithful and He's ministered to me and settled me and comforted me. And just through His Word, a, a, a healing balm on a troubled heart in this regard. Why is it, Lord, that the churches are just going along to get along like all the others? Lord, where are the Micaiahs? And the answer came in a word, love. Perhaps one of the most compelling is a passage that comes from Jesus himself in a letter that he has John write to a church in Revelation chapter 3. You know this church, the Laodicean church, the seven of, seventh of seven churches. Here's what the letter reads. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, all the other six churches, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, Sardis, Pergamum, Philadelphia. But when he gets to this church, he doesn't say to the angel of the church in, he says to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. It's not even my church anymore. They kicked me out. That's why I'm, as we'll read in a moment, standing on the outside knocking on the door to come back in. These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were either cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with thyself, so that you may see as many as I love. Here it is, listen. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. If I didn't care, I wouldn't bother. Therefore, be zealous and repent. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And then he has John end the letter the same way he does with all the other letters. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Could it be that the reason that the church is going along to getting, get along and remaining silent, could it be that the church has acclimated to the temperature of the world? So instead of the church influencing the world, the world has influenced the church. And it's a lovesickness. It makes Jesus sick to where He wants to vomit. Isn't that the, when you have something that's making you sick, your body will violently expel it? That's this. Well, that's pretty strong. Well, that's how strong is His love for them, for us. He loves us enough to rebuke us so that we'll repent, chastise us so we'll turn, and open that door for Him so He can come back in and take His rightful place on the throne of our lives. Would to God we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and courageous hearts to expose the spiritual nakedness in this last hour. You might see yourself as being rich and clothed. You're not. You're poor, you're wretched, you're blind, and you're naked. You have no clothes. Well, I'm going to end the update as we have been ending the update for a number of years now, and that's with the gospel, the good news. See, actually it's uh, kind of like this, you know, just bad news, bad news. I'm up here screaming and yelling and spitting, bad news, bad news, bad news. And then by the time I get to the end, you're like, is there any good news? Ah, yes, there is. I'm so glad you asked. Because you see, the badder the bad news is, the gooder the good news will be. This is really bad. <laughs> but God. Jesus is our only way out of this. He's not just our blessed hope. He's our only hope. When that trumpet sounds and that trumpet gonna sound, that was, that was pretty good. Yeah, that was last week, right? <laughs> soon, very soon, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. All those loved ones who died in Christ, their bodies, their new bodies, will rise up first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air forever. So what is the gospel? Well, the word gospel just simply means good news. Your debt has been paid. You're free to go. Wait, what debt? Oh, you didn't know? No. Well, it's pretty bad news. Yeah, you were sentenced to death because of your sin. Oh, that is bad news. Well, what's the good news? Well, Jesus came and died your death in your place, His blood shed in your stead. He was buried for three days, and He rose again on the third day, and He's coming back again one day. Good news. 
the ABCs of salvation. Again, please, this is not a formula. It's not the way. It's just a way, a simple childlike way to share Jesus with someone that you may be privileged to have that opportunity to share Jesus with. The A is for simply admit or acknowledge that you're a sinner. Otherwise, why would you be interested in the Savior? I mean, it's just reasonable, isn't it? That unless and until we come to that place where we realize that we've broken God's law, we're a lawbreaker, that the Holy Spirit doesn't really have permission, as it were, to take us by the hand to the one who fulfilled the law in our place. I have to come to that place where I realize I am a sinner and I need the Savior. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, I like this verse because it, it sort of packages, if you will, the bad news first with the good news, the bad news. The wages of sin is death. That's the death penalty. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice the contrast. Wages, gift. Wages you earn, gift you receive. Uh, wages, gift. Okay, it's a gift. Who paid for it? Jesus did. In full. For me. And so He pays for the gift of eternal life in full on the cross, offers me the gift freely for the receiving. If I try to pay for it, it's not a gift, it's a purchase. And by the way, this particular gift, the gift of gifts, you can't re-gift, just so you know. We're coming up on that time of year if we're still here. You can't re-gift it. No, it is the gift for you. It's the gift of God for you. That's the A, here's the B, and this is so central. It's for believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. For God so loved the world, those in the world, not the world, because First John says, don't love the world. Well, then we're told that God so loved the world. No, the people in the world. That's you and me. He so loved us that He gave His only begotten Son. That's love. I mean, I love you. I think you love me too. You, or at least you like me maybe. I don't want to push it, but that's love. I love you, but I don't love you that much. I don't love you so much that I'm willing to give my first begotten son. I'm sorry, but here's the good news. I don't need to. God already did. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And lastly, the C is for call upon the name of the Lord, or as Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And here's why. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And lastly, Romans 10, 13, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I implore you today, you might be in this service, you might be watching online. If you've never called upon the name of the Lord, believing in your heart, putting your trust in Him, I, I plead with you. I plead with you. Call upon Him while He may be found. Today is the day of salvation. Please, please, please do not delay the most important decision of your life 
for eternal life. Well, today's But God testimony comes from Bill in Chicago, who writes, My wife Lori and I just finished watching the update. Our Sundays are quite different these last couple years. Church time is now starting at 2 p.m. Prophecy update time in Chicagoland. <laughs> Our local church has ignored the prophetic significance of the past few years. We decided to focus on the CCK online attendance and it has sustained us. Thank you so much for the encouragement each week. It feeds our souls and brings clarity in these last days. Love the update messages. Keeps me tuned in to biblical prophecy. And I am always thrilled when I hear, and to do so we will end the live stream on YouTube and Facebook. <laughs> Woohoo! Uncensored truth on the way love the ABCs, even though I've been safe for many years, it always boils it all down to the fundamentals. Great. Love the but God testimonies. So awesome to hear how God always comes through. It's pretty easy to fall into the thinking that I don't have a but God testimony. However, as I pause and reflect where we were at a year and a half ago, when the medical industrial complex handed down the edicts about the vax. My two brothers and I are third generation sign makers and we are followers of Christ as were the two generations before us, as well as the fourth generation coming up in the company. We do a lot of work for hospitals. We were very aware of the possibility of losing the hospital accounts once they locked out any vendor that was not vaxxed. Even after rejecting or ignoring the religious exemption I had submitted, but God. But God has provided plenty of work through COVID. And this last fiscal year was one of our highest sales years ever. Crazy, right? Not in God's economy. We are thankful for His blessing and provisions for our families and the 20 or so employees and their families. There is still plenty to be concerned about as we see the world speeding towards the last days and the rise of the Antichrist. But not to worry if we're not here. So looking forward to the rapture of the church. I have become bolder in sharing the truth and hope that some will hear, ponder, consider, believe, and turn their hearts towards God and others who already have, that they will be encouraged. Thanks again for speaking the word boldly. Prayers for you and staff. Bill. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Capono, come on up. Why don't you go ahead and stand up. I am keenly aware that the intensity of these <laughs> updates are waxing more and more so, seemingly on a weekly basis. I think I shared this last week. I came to my attention that there were, was a, a number of people that had expressed how much they dislike the prophecy updates, to which I basically humbly, kindly, lovingly, truthfully, though boldly responded, they can't dislike them any more than I do. And I mean that. And the Lord knows my heart. This is hard stuff, man. This is tough stuff, but it's the truth. It's the truth. Father in heaven, thank you. <laughs> God, You are so good to us. Oh, the love that You have for us. You're so long-suffering and so kind and so gentle and so patient with us, so merciful to us, so gracious to us. Lord, I thank You for the good news of salvation. I thank You for the hope that is ours 
knowing that it could happen at any time, suddenly. And that trumpet's going to sound, and then it's over. Lord, we can't wait. But until that time, we need to be busy about the things of your kingdom and occupy until you come so that when you come, you find us faithful doing that which you called us to do. There's no time to waste. Please, Lord, use us, even us. <laughs> Lord, you use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise <laughs> and the weak to shame the strong. Thank you that you can use people like us. And I love it that you do, because in the end, only you can get all the glory. I mean, even if we wanted to try to take the credit, it would be laughable. <laughs> There's no way. Only you, Lord. You, Jesus, to whom all the glory, praise and honor is due. We love you so much, Lord. And we long to be with you. So come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. Maranatha. In Jesus' name, amen.